I couldn't even imagine that there was any way that I could pick myself up and move past that, you know? Yeah. And I was broken. <laughs> if there was another word other than broken to use, I'll probably use it, but I was like, I was broken. He ripped me apart from the inside. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello everyone, welcome to the show. This episode wasn't initially meant to be the first launch episode, but considering recent events relating to domestic abuse or intimate partner violence, which have been very rampant in our African community, I decided to release this episode first. I realized the urgency to sensitize our community and make people aware of the reality of domestic abuse. So I hope this can touch someone somewhere and save a life from domestic abuse. This will be a two-part segment, and in the first part, we will discuss the relationship dynamic between a domestic abuse survivor and her abuser and the consequences she faced which took her life on a different turn for the worst. Please share within your circles and hope this helps someone. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Living African Podcast. Today, we will be talking about abuse, which is a very important topic of discussion in the African community. So throughout the years, abuse has actually been somewhat normalized in relationships and also in our community there have been many examples of abuse that have led to a loss of life. One of the most recent incidents of these horrific stories happened last September 2020. I'm sure most of you must have heard about this story where a U.S.-based Ghanaian pastor and self-proclaimed prophet actually shot his wife multiple times in the head and killed her at her job in Orlando, Florida. Two days earlier, the pastor threatened to kill his wife during an intense fight with her and her brother. Allegedly, there were previous reports of domestic violence, but she decided to not press charges. In a video that showed the fight between the pastor and her brother, the wife could actually be seen begging her brother and not her husband, which is the pastor, to stop. The pastor actually could be heard calling her a witch and allegedly he killed her when she decided to pursue divorce proceedings against him for fear of losing everything. The most interesting thing is after this event, the mentor and spiritual father of this pastor released a statement saying whatever happened was caused by a spirit 
basically a spirit that was haunting the pastor, which was pretty appalling to me. So this was a very tragic story and so many factors influenced this outcome. At the same time, though we may not completely understand the dynamics of this obviously abusive relationship and situation, so much, I believe, would have been done to save this woman's life. Now, I just wanted to give you guys a quick statement on the statistics of the reality of divorce in our community and in the world. Actually, some 1.2 million women and up to 700,000 men experience domestic violence each year, according to the Office of National Statistics. And according to a study, actually, Africa has the most number of cases of intimate partner violence in the whole world. So with these statistics, this should definitely be something alarming. And that's why I really wanted us to talk about it, because it's something that we have to start normalizing these discussions within our community. Now, my question is, what is the breaking point of abuse? Why do people stay in abusive relationships and how has our community contributed to exacerbate this abuse? So to discuss and answer all of these questions and also share her experience with abuse, I have here with me Anne Alawede, the author of the book Scars to Stars, who is also a domestic abuse survivor. A little bit background about Anne's story. Anne immigrated to the U.S. from Cameroon at the age of 17 to further her studies. While pursuing a Bachelor of Science in Nursing from Queen's University in Charlotte, North Carolina, she met and fell in love with a guy, an African guy, actually. Unbeknownst to her, the day she married him was the day she gave him a pass to be her master and her his slave, as she stated in her book, Scars to Stars. She was about to start a toxic cycle of domestic, emotional, and mental abuse. And deciding to actually stay in that abusive relationship wounded her up in a women's correctional facility where she served 58 months, which was almost five years of her life in prison. As if that wasn't enough, she was transferred afterwards, after this five years in prison, she was transferred to ICE detainment, which is basically the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Detainment Center to be deported out of the U.S. And she had to fight to stay in the U.S. Now, in her book, she tells the long story of the pain she experienced and how she was able to come out of that pain with gain. She basically turned her scars to stars as the title of the book. So, ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome the lovely Anne Alabwede. Hello. Hi, Anne. Hi. Yes, I am so good. And how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here on this platform to just talk about something that's very close to my heart and something that hits home, something that I have a passion for. Right. And I'm looking forward to this discussion. Right. I am so looking forward to this discussion as well. I mean, <laughs> like I had mentioned in our previous discussion, I, when I was reading your book, I was literally with a pen and I was just highlighting and writing and making notes. Like your story is one of a kind. It's so exceptional. And we have heard the previous story that I just read out about the Ghanaian pastor and his wife, it was 
a tragic story of abuse, but I am so grateful that your story did not end that way, you know, and I know we're going to talk more about this story as we go further, but I am so glad to have you here and to have you use your story on this platform to inspire and impact the lives of so many other women and men who have actually gone through this or who are going through this, you know, so I am super excited. If you could just give us a quick, you know, synopsis of your experience from, you know, the relationship to, you know, jail or prison. And then as if that wasn't enough, you were actually sent to ICE to be deported. So that in and of itself is very tragic. And if you can just give us, you know, a quick preview about that, and then we will dive deeper into each segment of your life and your experience with abuse. From the age of 19 till I was 25, I was in an on and off relationship with a guy that I dated and eventually got married to. It was a toxic relationship, very, very toxic. I experienced all forms of abuse. You can name it emotional, mental, physical. It was just an ongoing cycle. Things will be fine one day and then the next day it's like it's getting better. He's changing, you know, but then things go downhill again. And it was like a roller coaster. Yes. And, you know, you never knew what to expect. When I finally got the courage to pick myself up and try to move from the relationship, yeah. um, I found out that this man that had subdued me to all forms of abuse for years was actually married to some other person. And I didn't know about it. So it got me to a point where I snapped. I always say I snapped because I remember things that happened that night that I was incarcerated or locked up. But I don't know how I got to that point. Right. But I guess it's because I had been through so much with this person. Yes. And this person was treating me like crap and treating me like, you know, I was nothing. But then living a double life. Yeah. You know, so I prayed, I felt like I had been betrayed and deceived for years and coupled with the abuse. And, you know, I'm sitting there taking all this day in, day out every year, you know, the, the years go by, you know, and then you decide to repay me like this. You yes. really hurt me for the past four years. And, you know, and now you, you did this to me. So anyway, that's how I ended up in jail. I did time for 58 months. I was incarcerated for eight months at a women's correctional facility in North Carolina. While I was locked up, I knew I had to face immigration because I had a hold on me. I had an ice hold on me. Yes. What I did know was I didn't know I was going to have to spend another 10 months, <laughs> you know, in immigration. Every other person, when they do time and on their release date, they go home to their family. But I had to continue on another journey, on another path where and this path, you don't know what to expect. What to expect, yes. On this date, and you know, I'm getting out on this date, but on this journey, I had no clue what was going to happen. You know, all I had to do was put my trust in God and commit it to Him and know that He was taking care of, you know, taking care of the situation. Yes. That's a little synopsis of what happened to me, you know, prior to jail and then jail and immigration. Yes. I can't imagine what you went through. Like, even when I was reading your book, I was just like, you know, what was very interesting actually was that I could relate. And I believe almost every woman who has been in a bad relationship or a toxic relationship could relate to at least one thing 
that you went through, not necessarily the physical abuse part of it, but the whole emotional and mental toll that it takes on us. The roller coaster of like him just popping up into your life and living your life, you know, just that. I mean, abuse is abuse. And I know most of the time in our communities, we look at abuse in relationships or marriages as physical, right? Like with the intimate partner violence, you know, it has to be someone punching you for that to be abuse. But there are several kinds of abuse that we go through. And I really like how you elaborated each one of these kinds of abuse that you experience from physical to emotional to mental, which I feel like it's very important for people to see each and every side of those kinds of abuse in order to recognize them when they come up. So basically, I wanted us to start with a relationship, with the dynamics of that relationship. There were some parts of the book that really struck me, right? And one of them was when you had mentioned that, you know, because someone is angry at us, does not give them the permission to be cruel, right? And that was actually an excerpt of the book where you were literally about to face the worst diagnosis that any woman can face in her life. You had a cancer scare and everybody you knew was there for you, but the only person that you loved, right? Mm -hmm. So that in and of itself is traumatizing emotionally, right? Because you would expect that the people you love will always show up for you when you need them, you know? So, I mean, that was just one of like so many things that he did, you know? And for some reason, regardless of all the bad things that he did, there was always that weakness, which I got from the book. It's like, there was always this weakness that you had for him. And I believe we have had that weakness for someone that we really love, but doesn't really show that appreciation and love right back to us, you know, and you actually mentioned, you know, like you felt like there was nothing out there for you than him. And, you know, I know that I have felt like that before. Right. And I know people ask, you know, like one of the questions that I had before, like, why do people stay in relationships? You know, when I read a few of those things that kind of answered the question, especially as someone who has been through that before. But I just wanted you to use your own experience and let us know what you were going through at that time. What was going through in your mind that kept you, you know, just staying in the relationship and just holding on? even though he was being very abusive? Well, everybody has a reason why they stay in an abusive relationship. The reasons are different, you know, different reasons from different people. And Mm -hmm. to me right now, I feel like those reasons are, they're really not reasons, but excuses. It's a choice. You know, life is a choice. Right. If you're hurting and you don't want to hurt anymore, Mm -hmm. and you feel like not enough of this hurt, get to the point where you either do whatever you have to do to get out of it or you wait for the hurt to eat you up to the point where it breaks you completely. So if I want to talk about my reasons why I felt like I had to stay there was because when you love somebody, when the heart loves, yes. you cannot be different. You yes. know? And I, I think I mentioned that in my book somewhere. I'm not sure what page, but yeah, when the heart wants what the heart wants, it wants what it wants. So yes. at that point, the heart is blind. You can't see, you know, this man is literally treating you like you're nothing, like mm-hmm. you're a thing, but you're there and, you know, you, you have hope. You know, yes. people are, they have hope, you know, that things are going to get better. 
And it's true. Like, if you love somebody, sometimes you can have hope, but you cannot have hope with abuse. When yes. somebody's abusive, they're going to be abusive for the, for the most part for the rest of their lives. Yes. If a man puts his hands on you in January, chances are he'll put his hands on you again in December or the next year. Yeah. You know, and for that, there's no excuse. Yeah. Because if somebody loves you, they will not want to see you hurt. That's you know? true. So I had told myself that I loved him. And I was comfortable. This is somebody that I had known for since I was 19. You know, that was yeah. actually like my first real boyfriend, mm-hmm. you know, and I felt comfortable and I didn't want to move away from that. I had hope that he was going to change. And for some reason, I thought it was normal yes. that he did all those things because he was jealous. You know, you know, when they say somebody's is jealous, they love you. Like, yes. he didn't want to see nobody. He wanted to have control over my life. Mm-hmm. So I misinterpreted his actions for love yeah you know and just the comfort and thinking about what people will say and i just made the choice to stay because i thought he loved me yeah you know and i had convinced myself that i was in love with him and i had to do everything that i had to do to make the relationship work even though i was receiving everything bad i was on the end where i was being punched every day yeah my friends were disturbed my emotions were constantly hurt my feelings were hurt i got to a point where i was mentally disturbed again like i say it over and over in my book that it was a choice Mm -hmm. i had the choice to either leave or stay but people like you said people have different reasons some other people don't want to leave because they're financially dependent on that person exactly if they leave you know where am i going to start you know some people you know you have kids with an abusive partner and you feel like if i move out of this you know what am i going to do with my kids what if he takes my kids from me what if i can't take care of my kids and i need him you know so they're different you know that people get stuck in this you know abusive cycle yes you touched on so many things that were very, very, very correct and true and very important in our community. I like when we have these discussions because it gives other people on the outside a different perspective, especially the typically judgmental people in our communities, right? Because circumstances influence these situations that you find yourself in. Yes, you mentioned it was a choice, but then again, when the heart wants what the heart wants, your body can be willing to move, but your heart and your mind are still in it. And as long as they're still in it, you will not be able to move. I mean, there was this article I read at one time and a woman who went through abuse, actually, who was talking about her story as well. And she said, this man made me feel like nothing. Like he broke me down. I felt like nothing that just the thought of me picking up myself up and putting in so much work to build myself back to who I was before. It was extremely discouraging that it was more comfortable for me to be down and broken. That in and of itself was so powerful because it gave me a different perspective as sometimes why certain women stay in these abusive relationships. It's a mental thing. Like when you're human and you feel like nothing, I mean, it's so hard for you to put in that work, to wake up, especially when you're at your weakest, you don't even have the energy to wake up and put in even more work than you ever did to bring yourself back to who you were before. And another thing that you had also mentioned, which not that I like, but was really true. I resonated with because a lot of women, especially in our African community, 
are very dependent on their husbands, right? They are very comfortable with a certain lifestyle. Not to say that you were dependent on him. It was just an example that you had given. But typically in the traditional African community, a lot of women are dependent on their husbands for financial assistance. So they're basically financially dependent on their husbands. And just the thought of them living a different lifestyle discourages them from leaving because I mean, who's going to provide for me? Where am I going to start? I don't have an education or I don't have a job. Like, what am I going to do? So all of those things, all of those external factors actually influence certain decisions as such. Now, talking about your mental health, which was such a striking thing for me personally in that book, you know, this guy actually, who was supposed to be the love of your life and your husband actually pushed you to the point that you were almost about to take your life. And it's obvious that your mental health was definitely impacted in that situation. But if you can just walk us down, like what was going through your mind in that moment that you were about to take your life? Just like you mentioned that you read of this lady's story who said that she was in an abusive relationship and the man literally broke her down where she felt like she didn't even have the energy to pick herself up. I found myself in that kind of position. Mm -hmm. I was tired. I was wore out. I was confused. I was yes. broke. I was in a place that I had never been before, a place that, you know, I mean, if I had been there before, I would have been able to recognize that, okay, you've been here before and you've done this. So get up and, you know, keep it moving. But I had never been there before. I was hurting. And some days it was even hard for me to get up from bed. You know, I felt worthless because you meet somebody, they walk into your life and they tell you all these good things about yourself. They bring your self-esteem way up here. And then all of a sudden they start dropping your self-esteem. They start saying things to you that make you feel. And that was the emotional part of it. And coupled with the, the mental part of the abuse. And they yes. start telling you that you're no good. You know, they call you out of your name. Yes. And um, when you love somebody, when you care about somebody, you believe everything that they, they say, say about you. Yes. So the same way that he said all these nice things about me in the beginning, I believed him. And that's what allowed me to get into this relationship with him. Yes. It's just that when he started saying all these bad things about me or started pulling down my self-esteem, I believed what he said. You know, if he said that I was nothing. I believed that I was nothing, you know, and I was broken. I felt like I didn't know where to start. I didn't just know where to start. Yes. Nobody had ever done what he did to me, yes. you know? And then you sit and think you're like, not the person that I love, not the person that I care about and not the person that, you know, I thought cared about me and loved me. Mm -hmm. Not that it's not them doing this to me. Right. You know? I did feel hopeless. I was depressed and that gradually brought me to a depression. Yes. And honestly, I didn't feel like I wanted to be here. You know, I felt like there was no hope. I couldn't even imagine that there was any way that I could pick myself up and move past that, you know, yes. and I was broken. <laughs> if there was another word other than broken to use, I'll probably use it, but I was like broken. He ripped me apart from the inside. Right. I'm so sorry. Every time I, you know, hear your story or talk to you, it's like, I just feel so sorry that all of this happened, you know, because I wouldn't have been talking to you at this point if you succeeded in killing yourself. Thankfully, your brother prevented that from happening. Thankfully, I have a special level of, you know, sympathy for women who 
go through this and even end up losing their lives, you know, and that's why I feel like it's very important for us to have these discussions, you know, to save more lives of the women or men who are going through this emotional, mental and physical abuse. Now, what was also very interesting, so many interesting things in that book, by the way, was very interesting, which is something that I believe it's demanded of the typical African woman, right? In our community is that, you know, we need to just suck it up. And like, even when we go through all these adversities, we always have to protect the ones that we love, right? I mean, we've heard many stories of women's husbands who have been abused and they're protecting the abuser. Like even the the woman who unfortunately died, the Ghanaian pastor's wife, like she was telling her brother to stop and not her husband. And she was actually allegedly at one point, even protecting him, you know, especially with, you know, the reports of violence and stuff like that, which she did not pursue. So I know in your book, you had mentioned, you know, that you cared about this man's happiness, right? And you cared about his happiness even more than your happiness. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you even stuck in that relationship just because more of him than even you, right? I mean, I got to give it up to the African woman. You know, we are very strong. We always want to make sure that everybody else is good. Even when they don't care if we're good, we always put everybody else before us, you know, which is a very, very powerful thing, a very powerful trait that we have, you know, but then when is the breaking point, right? When is the breaking point? Like, when do we make that decision? Like, Hey, I'm going to put myself first because when you love someone, you open up to that person and that person literally has the power to make or break you. And that's what was almost happening to you. Right. And another thing you had mentioned was, you know, the idea of like, what will people think? And that's something that is very, very common in our community, which I think is hurting us. It's breaking us apart. The whole what will people think ideology, because naturally as Africans, we really care a lot about our reputation. Our parents, our grandparents, everybody has always cared about reputation. Right. But again, the people on the outside don't make it easier for us because, you know, there is so much talk when you're at your lowest point, you will basically expect the people who should be your people to be there for you. But that's usually not always the case. And I know you mentioned in your book, like your family was so exceptional, which was such a good thing because not everybody is lucky to have that kind of exceptional support from family. Now, the question I want to ask is that, did you think that many or some of his actions, that's the actions of your ex-husband, were actually influenced by his cultural or family values or even the community as a whole? I would not really say that his actions were influenced by his family because I did meet his parents and his dad didn't come across to me as someone, unless his mom never mentioned it, his dad didn't come, come across as someone who was abusive to his mom, someone who was an abusive partner or husband to his right. mom. But cultural, I can't really say that either. I honestly think that it's just who he was. Right. Because I have met other men from the part of Africa where he's from, and they're not like that. I just think it is the individual. Not all African men who are abusive. Right. You know? Yeah, definitely. I personally think that it's just him. And it has nothing to do with, I, I'm not sure where he learned that. Usually they say men who are abusive grow up watching that like they think it's okay maybe they see their dad abusing their moms Mm -hmm. 
said I didn't really know a lot about his parents' history, and his dad did not come out come out to look like an abusive husband. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure he learned that from, mm-hmm. but it was all him. It right. was all all him, and right. whatever was going mind I, I i don't know mm-hmm. uh, but he was just an abusive person i don't think that it has anything to do with culture and some people say that was it possibly because he was older than me mm-hmm. and i don't think that because i've also come across some guys who are way older than their wives yes. but they're very protective and they're not very protective to the point of being controlling they love right. their wives and know that it's not right for a man to put his hands on a woman yes it's also not the age. It wasn't, I don't think it was the age difference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just think it was who he was. Like right. The individual. Yeah. And at that time, you know, when you were going through what you went through, especially with the abuse and everything, like what kind of support did you get from your village or did you get any kind of support or even from his own side of, you know, his village, like his friends, and stuff like that like do you think that you got support or did you think that there was something that maybe would have been done differently to be more supportive of you i didn't get a lot of support from his friends probably because i didn't talk to a lot of them about what i was going through and right. like the, the few friends that knew what i was going through i i believe that they didn't really play a part in trying to forget about me trying to help their friend be better yes when it comes to his family, they were always on his side. And for my family, my family didn't know what was going on until like later, like, yes. you know, last year, basically, you know, when, you know, I, I talked in my book about the first time I actually opened up to, to, your mom. to, you know, to my mom and, you know, and told them what I was going through. And they really didn't even know the details. And I'm sure a lot of the things they read, they've also read, in the, you know, in the book. I felt like if I had told my family what was going on, I would have received much more support from them. And I probably right. wouldn't have ended up where I ended up. You know, right. because normally they probably would have done everything that was in their power right. to get big from him. Right. You know, so, yeah, I mean, I totally agree to that. And I also saw that because I remember you had mentioned that, you know, you were protecting, you know, him. You didn't want to talk about, I mean, you actually missed your Thanksgiving dinner because you didn't want your family to see what you were going through because you were just protecting him. You didn't want them to have this bad impression about him, you know, which, I mean, I have been there before. I, almost every other woman that I know has been there before, you know, always protecting the person, the abuser, right? Who just because is that hope that's in you, that's you're still clinging onto it. Like, Hey, maybe this can still work. But in the meantime, while we're working this out, Hey, the family should not be involved just yet, because if we work it out, I don't want them to have this kind of impression about him, you know? So I won't just say easily that that's something that has to change because it's a matter of the heart, right? But that's something that we always need to be aware of at the instant it happens and really take a deep evaluation of ourselves and see if this is helping us, whatever decisions that we're making in that emotional, because those are all emotional decisions, right? So we have to always try to, you know, see if that emotional decision that we're making is also a rational decision, right? Which is, like I said, it's a very hard thing, but it's something that if we try to put that into practice, it will save a lot of lives and 
it will lead to a lot of happy lives. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.